Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation, part two of our conversation with William Balbean, general partner at SOSV and managing director of Orbit Startups, a program that helps companies scale breakthrough technologies across emerging and frontier markets to the regions with the most aggressive growth. We re-enter the discussion getting William's take on the frothy private public, and even crypto markets this year, as well as the level of M&A activity we can expect over the next few years. We dive into why he says there's a flood of capital entering the Southeast Asia region and the importance of maintaining a startup attitude when entering new regions in APAC. We bring it to a close with William talking about how there are fewer barriers to starting a business in China thanks to technology and why the demographic changes in China and Southeast Asia present exciting opportunities for startups in the region. Enjoy. It's like 3D chess. You have economic macro, you've got politics, and you've got large corporates fighting it out. You've got big internet trying to take over or taking over. Then you've got VCs as an asset class is really taking off. So there's so much money going after startups just because it's got a better return profile over time than the public markets. So, I mean, VC returns are over 20% for the last 20-something years, whereas public markets, you know, S&P, whatever, kind of fluctuate around, but it's much, much lower, five, seven, eight percent, something like that. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Looking at private and public markets, you know, we, we, we've seen tumultuous seas when it comes to the private markets, the public markets, crypto, all of them. Um, everybody's been, been in this storm. So could you maybe just from, from for your region, from for that region, for the APAC region, give us a bit of a read of the situation through your lens. Yeah, I mean, so you have, um, you know, it's like 3D chess. You have, you know, you have economic macro, you've got politics, and you've got, uh, you know, large corporates fighting it out. You've got big internet uh, trying to take over or taking over. Uh, Then you've got uh, VCs as an asset class is really taking off. So there's so much money uh, going after startups uh, just because it's got a better return profile uh, over time than 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 uh, than the public markets, so I mean VC returns are over twenty percent for the last twenty something years, uh, twenty plus years, uh, whereas public markets, um, you know S and P whatever, kind of fluctuates around, uh, but it's much much lower, you know five seven eight percent something like that uh so you generally tend to do better in, in vc uh now the problem is there's a distribution uh within vc uh so if you're in a good one you're doing very well and if you're in a bad one you're not doing that well and and, and uh you know i think 
something like 40, 50% of VCs don't really make money. Right. So, uh, that, 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 that is challenging. Um, so within, uh, within this, very uh, complex environment. Um, you know, to some extent, we you just have to we have to focus, right? So, um, we're focused on helping the startups that we work with uh, build real businesses, uh, and so we're very much focused on pro- positive unit economics. Um, so, when there's a lot of money flowing around uh, and everybody's doing blitz scaling. Um, it's not generally good for our startups. I mean, we write 180k checks, right? So nobody's working with us for the money. Also, you can't do a blitz scaling of anything on 180k. Uh, so, uh, um, so, so we're really focused on like fundamentals. So when a downturn happens, we're actually pretty happy um, because you know when the uh, you know when the ocean goes out. You know, you know who's wearing shorts, right? So, um, when when the money all disappears, you know who doesn't have positive unit economics. And so, we've seen some really big startups that raise it lots and lots of money at high valuations, either die or lay off half their teams. And so, we're picking up. You know, if you have positive unit economics, you actually can raise right now um, because you have positive unit economics. But you can also pick up some great talent. Uh, because we're early stage and, you know, we invest 180K and we basically need to get at least 5% of the company, uh, 5, 6, 7% of the company. Um, but so we were kind of quite disciplined uh, about it. And so our unfair advantages of, you know, enterprise sales on the one side and free consumer acquisition on the other were driven based on the need to have an unfair advantage. So within all these different asset classes and economies, you got to kind of look at who's got unfair advantage, who can do things that other people can't do, uh, how sustainable is that unfair advantage, um, and uh, you know, and, and can it scale? Uh, and so, uh, big internet has massive unfair advantage. Um, the virtual monopolies or duopolies or oligopolies, um, and then you you know, for early stage, you you. you need to figure out, you know, is this either on the B2B side or the consumer side, you know, enterprise or consumer, you know, what is your unfair advantage? Uh, And when you're going cross border, when you're going to Asia, uh, does that unfair advantage still hold? Um, When you're going cross border, your unfair advantage in the U.S. might not translate that well to Japan or to to Southeast Asia. Um, So for us, uh, you know, the, the, the markets have been really challenging. I, I would say that startup people uh, are familiar <laughs> with challenges. They're familiar with shocks. They're familiar with uh, volatility. Um, so they're probably better suited to weather this than, than small business, medium business, or even large corporate. Um, but because uh, uh, people are used to having bad things happen all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the bottom line for us is uh, during this tough time is to try and figure out either your own or other people's uh, advantage uh, and, and make sure that that advantage still holds in the new environment as the environment changes. What about on the other side of the coin, so to speak, the outlook, your outlook, your opinion on uh, M&A activity in Asia over the next few years and the outlook and opportunity for, for exits? For most of Asia, you know, China, India, 
uh, many unicorns, got a bunch of exits. Um, sort of the seal has been broken in terms of uh, IPOs. The valuations are not that great. You know, the, they were really high and they came down. But there are now exits, and you've seen the first exits come out of Southeast Asia. Uh, and so this has really opened things up, and you're just seeing the money pour in. Because once you have exits, then the market has been sort of proven in the market. Um, and so uh, just this year in Southeast Asia, you got basically $7 billion U.S. pouring that has already gone into VC funds sitting there ready to be deployed. So think about the number of startups in the region, who's doing what, and who's going to absorb $7 billion U.S. dollars in funding over the next few years. And most of these VCs are doing this fast raise thing where, you know, they raise a big fund, they deploy 30% of it, and they're, you know, reserve the rest, and then they try and go raise another fund. So the amount of capital coming in um, it has now just massively accelerated. Um, first in uh, you know Southeast Asia, India has been quite strong for a while, uh, and then uh, other markets like Pakistan. I mean, they're, they're very, very, very early. Uh, like when uh, we were when I was doing China Internet back in two thousand four, you know the total market cap of all the companies was three billion US, and then it went to three plus trillion, right? Uh, so Pakistan, the total market cap of all the internet companies there is three billion dollars now. Uh, so uh, it's got two hundred twenty million people. Um, so you know there's an opportunity. That's why we invested in sixteen companies there, but um, but you know it's gonna it's gonna take some time, you know. Uh, to to uh, to get to where uh, it needs to go, uh, but even there, the number of capital between you know twenty twenty and twenty twenty one, I think it like quadrupled, uh, and this year has been uh, been again uh, quite a, a huge jump. Uh, so um, for um, for Asia, uh, for some of the bigger markets, there's been quite a lot of capital, like China and India, quite a lot of capital for a while. There hasn't been that much in Korea. There hasn't been that much in Japan, but you know, it's like uh, growing and coming up. But Southeast Asia, you know, the big markets, Indonesia, you know, Vietnam is very hot right now. Um, and, um, and then South Asia, especially uh, India, but now um, Pakistan and Bangladesh are kind of starting to grow up. Um, there's just a flood of uh, uh, of capital coming in. Back in twenty, you know, January twenty twenty, when we first had you on, you called out just literally the speed of startups and the speed and how quickly and how nimble startups in Asia move. Two and a half years and one global pandemic later, would you still say that that's the case? It is a definite advantage. I think uh, it's also uh, required. It's basically table stakes um, because, you know, in, in, like I said earlier, in the U.S., you need great technology in order to drive a revolution because you need to make a fundamental change. In a lot of markets, you're, you're doing business model innovation. There is technology involved. Like everybody's leveraging AI. A lot of that AI is not built by them. It's built by somebody else. But you're, you're basically solving some pretty basic problems, fundamental problems that have already been, you know, for the most part, 
solved uh, in in the U.S. Um, or Western Europe. I don't know. One of the the challenges is like uh, in India, we invested in a company called Fable, uh, and they solved the problem of how do you get people in tier, you know, lower income, middle income people, but in sm- in the countryside, in rural areas, we call them tier three, four, five, six cities, like um, out there, right? To uh, you know, they 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 are making more money now. They eat more meat, and then they get diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure. Forty percent of India uh, suffers from a chronic disease. How do you get them to take their meds? I understand that if they stop taking their meds, bad things will happen. Uh, and so, this is a problem that you know it, it exists in the U.S. I, I believe, but it doesn't exist in the same way as it exists in a market like India, where they didn't have this chronic disease problem before. Because they were, they had a different diet. They were eating, you know, mullet, and uh, they were eating actually a lot healthier before. Okay, uh, I appreciate you taking that on, um, and I, I would agree. What is? Uh, how do people go find out more about Orbit? Yeah, so it's orbitstartups.com. Uh, you can check us out there. We're on uh, LinkedIn is always good uh, because uh, we have a lot of events, both uh, online and in person. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so we do uh, get togethers in uh, New York, L.A., San Francisco, uh, but of course, across Asia and Middle East and uh, soon Africa. And uh, we do have our outpost in uh, southern Italy um, focused on silver tech. Um, health aging. And we have a demo day coming up for our next stage uh, silver tech program in October. Uh, It's really interesting because there's a lot of old people in Italy and there's a ton of old people in Asia. And we think there's a huge opportunity around uh, uh, technology that can enable these uh, oldsters to live a, a much more fulfilling life even as they get older. And the play on words there, of course, being silver tech, silver haired, old people. Yeah, yeah. Silver tech, aging tech. Potentially uh, didn't, didn't get that. Oh, yeah. that's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it, that's really smart. That's really interesting. I, I, that's the first time hearing of that. So you're absolutely right. Pretty I mean, sure I did not make it up, but I haven't heard too many other people use it. No, no, I, I haven't. I think it sounds cooler than aging tech or geriatric tech or something like that, right? But Asia has. I've always known that China had, you know, was going to have this age issue as they had so many of their population get go, you know, getting into that that retirement 60, 70, 80 type of age group. Um, is it is it beyond just China? Was it is it is it more Southeast Asia uh, almost as a whole? Well, Japan's number one in terms of, uh, you know, average age and their population is declining significantly. Uh, in terms of number of old people, Indonesia has a ton of uh, people who are like uh, kind of like post-retirement age. Um, China's got a, uh, um, a male-female imbalance uh, and a uh, you know, it's very expensive to bring up children in China, just like the rest of the developed world. Uh, so the the birth rates have fallen. Uh, to give you extent, if you, you go to Anhui and there's like 100 kids in like the fourth grade class, there will be roughly 35, 40 kids in the first grade class. That's how much it's going down. Uh, so um, China will not be able – is going to have a huge number of old people without very many um, – young people to take care of them. Um, so they're, they're going to need technology. 
uh, in order to, to, to make it work. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we're long-term, we're 10 plus three, 13 years outlook. We think that some of these solutions are going to become very important over the next decade plus. Uh, so that's why we're positioning there in the early stage side. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, if you've got technology that solves challenges, uh, for this in, in, in the U S Asia has got a huge market and people do spend a lot of money, uh, taking care of their parents and their grandparents. Okay, so are they the consumers then? Are are you not necessarily targeting the quote unquote silver hairs, um, or can you? Do they know how to use technology and have digital payments? And oftentimes, you're targeting the family members, not the uh, not the, not the users. Yeah. Okay, but you put the you still put the cereal on the lower level. You know where you know you're you still you you you're still targeting and advertising to them. They just might have to get their son or daughter to pull the trigger on the on the purchase. Um, yeah, it depends on the solution. Uh, but uh, a lot of times it, it is the son or daughter pulling the trigger. But then you need to figure out how do you get their parent or grandparent to actually use the solution. Uh, so a lot of the solutions are actually automated. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're well into overtime here. Uh, even yeah, though, yeah, like, we, we were already <laughs> wrapping up, but I know it's okay. I want to ask you one more thing because I started to think like, we're going to have this ageism problem, you know, but then we're also, I mean, if we have just less people, does that not mean a shrinking economy that also needs to support that? Isn't that like a, a double problem? Uh, it will be quite a large challenge, uh, which we think is uh, a good opportunity. Well, yeah, exactly. Typical entrepreneur optimism. Japan population decline is going like this. China population decline is going to go like this. That's amazing. Great insights. This has been a lot of fun. I, I am so thankful that you were able to come back on the show and do this with us. As we usually do, we like to ask if you might have one or two people that you'd be willing to name drop on the show that you think might make good guests. Could be from your industry, outside your industry to talk about who are who are kind of rel- resident experts on the area of the world known as Asia uh, or APAC or Southeast Asia that would make an interesting guest and somebody for us to talk to for the audience to listen to and learn from. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'd, I'd say um, one of uh, our, our fellow mentors, uh, I don't know whether you have you had Gen Kanai on? We've had Gen um, pre-Animoca okay, so- Brands. And so now okay. with him being at Animoca, yeah, maybe he hadn't been sense. able to talk about it originally. So we yeah. talked a lot about Japan and the originations okay, of Yahoo okay. and, 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 you know, eBay and stuff. But no, we would like to get him back on and, and we'd love to talk a little bit more, you know, him or even Richard Robinson, right, to talk about Animoca. Another another uh, uh, person is actually like the the CEO of, of Fables. To me, the Fables, the company I just mentioned, that's tackling chronic disease uh, in uh, in India, and then looking at potentially going cross border. Um, but he can give some you know interesting insight into what does it take to scale uh, in a uh, in a frontier or emerging market, uh, and uh, bring. I mean, they're a technology company. How do you uh, make that work uh, in um, a, a market where you know people just got their you know access to the internet? They just got their first or second smartphone, uh, and so I, I assume it's uh, awesome. Um, and then 
the second one um, I would say is uh, for somebody who's um, really uh, interested about uh, what what does it take to go global from from Asia to the U.S. is uh, Ke uh, from Voila Voila dot Love. Uh, so they're ex Byte Dance Google folks. Uh, from from China, and they're basically bringing that technology uh, around social commerce, which is uh, much much bigger in China than in the U.S., uh, to enable U.S. creators, you know, Instagrammers and TikTokers, to make money like Chinese do. Because in in China and, and in Asia, live streamers, TikTokers, uh, they make a lot of money. You know, you can make a very good living on it, uh, even if you don't have that many followers. Whereas in the U.S., they make much, much less because big Internet keeps all the money and they don't enable commerce in the way that uh, Asian platforms do. Uh, so I would recommend Ke. Uh, I grew up in Beijing, but went to the U.S. In, uh, for school, worked at Google and, and in the U.S., and then now he's uh, based on the West Coast. Uh, so he gives really good insights into um, you know, what's it like uh, in China, but also, you know, how do you apply technology uh, from and, in, and and business model innovation from Asia to the U.S. market? So I think he'd be a valuable guest. OK, I really appreciate it. I know you've got like a whole bunch of quarantine to get to. You're really backed up on getting your quarantining done. So I, I do want to be respectful of your time. I really, really appreciate this. Everybody, a virtual round of applause for, for William Bell being general partner at SOSV. Thanks for, for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Todd. Okay, so anybody who's watching this on video, don't forget that we have the audio version on the podcast. Go to Spotify, Google uh, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast will be there. And for those of us listening to uh, this on the audio version, don't forget we also have uh, the, the the video version where you can see William and I and uh, uh, and watch our conversation uh, if you are so inclined. Uh, but from all of us at WPIC and the negotiation, uh, and uh, thank you to William, we will say goodbye and we'll see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.